Thanks for downloading this podcast from Burghead Free Church in Murray, Scotland. We exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our vision is to grow to be a vibrant all-age church of 100 disciples. Find out more at burgheadfreechurch.org. Uh, our title tonight is God Saves Part 1. Next week you'll get Part 2 with Bob Aykroyd. I want us to focus um, this evening on the words of 1 Peter, 1 Timothy, uh, chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, where we read, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. And I want us to focus especially on one key word that we have in these verses, and that's the word mediator. If we want to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus does and how we are saved, it's really important that we understand this word. Now, to be a mediator um, basically means uh, to be someone who connects two parties. So we get mediators in negotiations between national governments. They're called diplomats. We get mediators in business transactions between companies. They're called consultants. We get mediators between people buying and selling a house. They're called solicitors. And we get mediators between a guy and a girl who fancy each other. They're called people who can't keep their mouth shut. A mediator brings two parties together. And in terms of humanity and God, Jesus Christ is the mediator. Now, at a fundamental level, that whole idea of uh, being a mediator presupposes two things. Uh, The first thing that it presupposes uh, is alienation. So, The whole reason a mediator is needed is because sin has left God and humanity at enmity towards one another. That relationship uh, has been broken and there's now um, a problem. But the second thing that that we have to notice is that, that mediation presupposes alienation, but alienation presupposes that that there's actually meant to be some kind of relationship. Alienation presupposes relationship. The whole reason that alienation is a problem is because God and humanity are meant to be in a beautiful relationship. That's how it's meant to be, but it's not how it is. The reality of our human condition is that we... Uh, are alienated from God. Sin has left humanity guilty, hostile, broken and lost. And that raises two crucial theological questions. How does God respond? And how do we respond? And that's our two headings that we're going to look at together just now. So first of all, God's response. 
At the heart of the whole message of the Bible is the concept of relationship. God himself is an eternal relationship of Father, Son and Spirit. And humanity is created to be in a relationship uh, with him and with one another. And the whole of human existence is dependent on these relationships to God and to each other. And when these relationships are broken, humanity goes into great danger. The Bible uses a special term to describe that relationship. It's the term covenant. The Bible is really all about our covenant relationship with God. That relationship was created beautiful in Genesis 1 and 2. It was tragically broken in Genesis 3 when humanity sinned and fell and the relationship with God was broken. But the amazing thing about the Bible and the amazing thing about God is that in the aftermath of humanity's sin and fall, God does not respond by giving up on us. Instead, he responds by initiating a stunning plan of salvation. That that plan is centred on his son, Jesus Christ. And his place in that plan is brilliantly described for us in the Westminster Confession of Faith and chapter 8, paragraph 1. Here it is. Um, Just let me read that uh, with you. It pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son, to be the mediator between God and man, the prophet, priest and king, the head and saviour of his church, the heir of all things and the judge of the world, unto whom he did from all eternity give a people to be his seed and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified and glorified. God's response to our sin and alienation is to provide a mediator. Now, when we say that Christ is the mediator, um, there's two key things that we need to think about. We need to think about who he is and we need to think about what he does. Paul references these in uh, the verses that we started with, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. Uh, in verse 5, uh, he speaks about who Jesus is and In particular, he emphasises that uh, he is a man. He talks about the man, Christ Jesus. Then in verse 6, he he points us towards what Jesus does. In particular, he talks about the fact that Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all. And the rest of the New Testament gives us more information uh, about these things, about who Jesus is and what Jesus does. Theologians um, will often describe these two uh, concepts um, under the heading the person and work of Christ. And that's just talking about who he is and about what he does. And these are explained beautifully in the rest of chapter 8 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. And I want us to just expand on these two in a little bit more detail together just now. So thinking first of all about uh, the person of Jesus, who he is. In order for someone to be a mediator, they need to be able to represent both parties. So an international diplomat needs to be recognised by both governments. Um, Likewise, somebody scheming to bring a boy and a girl together needs to be friends with them both. 
The same applies to God and humanity. But here there's a massive problem. Humanity is totally broken down here. And God is utterly holy and perfect up here. And that makes them the two most incompatible parties in history. And yet a mediator needs to be able to represent both. And this is where we come uh, to another brilliant uh, theological uh, term, the word incarnation. That, of course, is referring to when to what happened when Jesus became a human. In the womb of Mary, his mother, God the Son, who from all eternity had been God the Son, now becomes something that he's never been before. He became a human. When that happened, he did not stop being God, but he became something new. He became human. And in other words, he became one of us. The result of that incarnation is that Jesus is born, he is God, and he is human. And that, that, um, that balance is beautifully described for us in the Westminster Confession, uh, chapter 8, paragraph 2. Uh, the Son of God, being the second person of the Trinity, being the very uh, eternal very and eternal God of one substance, equal with the Father, so emphasizing that, that he is God. When the fullness of time was come, so that's at a particular moment, he took upon himself something new, man's nature, with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary and of her substance. So that the two... Whole, perfect and distinct natures, the Godhead and the manhood, were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, composition or confusion. In other words, not like a kind of mix, half God, half man kind of thing, but one who is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. So if we go back to... uh, a little picture of the two parties who are alienated. Uh, Jesus is God. Jesus is human. That means that he has all the character of God, his wisdom, his mercy, his grace, and his truth. So if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. But he also has all the reality and vulnerability of humanity. So that means that if you look at Jesus, you see that he is one of us. The result is that the God human, Jesus Christ, is fully qualified to function as the mediator between God and humanity. And only Jesus can do it. Paul makes that so clear when he says there's one God and there is one mediator between God and men the man, Christ Jesus. In other words, the unique reality of who he is means that he's uniquely qualified for the work that he has to do. So what is that work? Well, there's lots that we could say um, and uh, 
I feel like in so many ways I'm barely scratching the surface. But when we are summing up the work of salvation that Jesus does, uh, theologians will often summarize that under three headings. And, and we actually read them in paragraph one of chapter eight of the Westminster Confession. It talks about Jesus as the prophet, the priest, and the king. These three are at the heart of his saving work. Indeed, that's really what the title Christ is pointing to. Christ means anointed one. And in the Old Testament, uh, the prophet, the priest and the king um, were all anointed for their work. I want to just look in a, in a little bit more detail at, at each of these. Uh, first of all, the prophet here. A prophet is basically God's spokesman. In other words, they are God's representative. There were many in the Old Testament, some in the New, and they communicated to God, uh, to people on God's behalf. The greatest prophet of all is Jesus. He reveals and communicates the message of God. Uh, he speaks himself in those terms in John 12, 49, as you can see. He says, I've not spoken of my own authority, but I say what the Father's commanded me to speak and Paul actually hints about this because he talks about uh, Christ's work in terms of testimony. There's a message being communicated there. In terms of uh, a priest, um, things are actually the other way round. Um, a priest is, is humanity's representative towards God. And again, we see that really clearly in the Old Testament. Um, where a priest would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And again, Jesus is the greatest priest of all. He represents us before God. He stands in our place. He offers the perfect sacrifice so that we can be forgiven. Hebrews 9 speaks about that, Jesus uh, appearing as our high priest. And then we have a king. A king is one who reigns over a kingdom. And the whole reason that there is alienation between God and humanity is because we are caught in the middle of the conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of evil. Sin has left us under the power of death and in slavery to that kingdom. Jesus has come to conquer that kingdom, to rescue us from bondage, to deliver us from evil. And as a result of all that he achieved, he now reigns um, where uh, we see that he he sits at the right hand of God. Uh, here it is on Hebrews chapter uh, 10. Uh, after he'd offered a sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God in a position of exaltation as king. So these three things are crucial, prophet, priest and king. They all combine to complete Christ's work as mediator. As prophet, Jesus is God's representative towards us. As priest, he is our representative towards God. And as king, he reigns over all and he calls all into his community and kingdom. That's why in Jesus we find the truth that we need from God. We find the forgiveness that we need from God and we get to enter into a community, uh, we enter the community and the security of God's kingdom, something that we could never achieve for ourselves. And all of that is possible um, because of the cross. It's all a result 
of the cross. On the cross, Jesus the prophet is telling you how much God loves you. Jesus the priest is offering himself for you. And Jesus the king is conquering all the powers of darkness. In other words, in the passion and work of Jesus, we get everything that we need. And the key point that I want us to, to, to notice in all of this is that when, when we look at the kind of this diagram between us and God that, that, that is on your screen just now, it's quite easy to, in our minds to put God and humanity quite close together. So it's easy to think, you know, well, there is, yeah, there is this kind of gap between um, us and God, and yeah, it's not really ideal. It is something that needs to be sorted out, but it's not that big a deal. And sometimes it's easy to think that the gap between God and humanity is, you know, it's not that far. And sometimes people can have a kind of casual attitude towards God, thinking, you know, well, yeah, I, I, I know that I kind of need to put things right with God, and oh, I will, I will, and I know that I need to sort that out, and the gap's not that big, and I'm sure it'll be okay in the end. You and I have got to recognise that the gap between God and humanity is not small. The gap between God and humanity is massive. And the Bible puts us miles and miles apart. But the amazing thing about God's work of salvation through Christ the mediator is that Jesus fills every inch of that gap. And if you recognise how massive the gap is, then you'll start to understand just how massive Jesus is. When you think of that word mediator, you need to be thinking of something colossal. But even more mind-blowing than that is the fact that the whole reason that God does all of this is because he's not giving up on you. God alone knows how big that gap is. God alone knows just what's involved in being a mediator. But weighing all that up, God looks at you and he says, you are worth every bit of it. Now, if you ever struggle with self-worth, if you ever think that you're just a useless waste of space, if you ever think that, um, that the last thing that God would want to do is, is take notice of you, then this is where theology tells you how precious you are. God is not giving up on you. And the Westminster Confession of Faith actually captures this beautifully. It says at the start of paragraph 8, did you notice the amazing word that comes uh, at the start? It says, it pleased God. It pleased God to make Christ his son, the mediator. That means that when Jesus went all the way to the cross to bridge every millimetre of the gap between you and God, it's all because God is saying, this is what I want. All of this is for you. And that brings us to 
The second big question that we're trying to ask tonight, how should we respond? Um, I want you to imagine a uh, 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 Mediation, let me just take myself away for a moment. I want you to imagine a day-to-day example of mediation. Uh, Here's two friends. This one's called Thomas and this one's called Bob. Uh, They're good friends, but they have fallen out because Thomas owes Bob £100 and he can't pay it. And as a result, they have become alienated in their relationship. Um, Thankfully, however, uh, Peter comes along as the mediator. And Peter says, uh, I want you and Thomas, I want you and Bob to be friends. Uh, So I'll pay the £100 to Bob on your behalf. And that's exactly what Peter does. He makes the payment, the debt is cleared, the source of alienation is removed. Okay, so the £100 goes to Bob, the problem is gone. If you're Thomas here, um, there's two very simple and obvious things that you need to do. First, you need to trust Peter. So you take him at his word. You don't keep trying to raise the £100 yourself, but instead you rely on what he has done. And then the second thing is that you return to your relationship with Bob. You don't prolong the alienation. Uh, You don't uh, keep your distance. You recognise that Peter's done a brilliant thing. And that means that you can change how you think about this whole situation. And you can now return to your friendship uh, with Bob. These two things, though, are essential. Trust and return. And to not do those things would be crazy. If Peter's paid the money... It's bonkers to refuse to believe that. And if the source of alienation is gone, if the problem's been solved, it's bonkers to refuse to return to the friendship with Bob because it's completely unnecessary to maintain the distance. When somebody successfully mediates in a broken relationship, the blatantly obvious thing to do is to trust and to return. And that's exactly how we are to respond to what Jesus has done as mediator. We trust him and we return to our relationship with God. But the Bible uses two different words for that. Um, They're the words faith and repentance. We respond to Christ's work as mediator in faith and in repentance. I should have said at the start of this, that my handwriting is awful, but I hope that you can see what I'm trying uh, to write. And of course, these are the two things that lie at the heart of the gospel message. Do you remember what Jesus said when he began his ministry? He said, repent and believe in the gospel, because that's exactly the response that he is looking for. And again, the Westminster Confession of Faith is actually incredibly helpful um, at explaining this to us. So in terms of faith, chapter 14 Uh, says a couple of things. Let me just take myself out of the way so you can see it there. Uh, It says, the grace of faith whereby the elect are unable to uh, believe uh, to the saving of their souls is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts. It's ordinarily wrought through ministry of the word, but also through the administration of the sacraments and prayer 
and by the administration and sacraments and prayer, it's increased and strengthened. By this faith, a Christian believeth to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word. So that's like believing that Peter's paid my debt to Bob, for the authority of God speaks therein, and uh, acteth differently upon that which each particular passage thereof containeth, yet yielding obedience to commands, trembling at the threatenings, and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. But the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. Basically exactly the same as me relying on what Peter did in paying my £100 debt to Bob. Um, We rely on what Christ has done. Um, We trust him. We believe it to be true. um, And we place our dependence and trust upon him uh, because of all that he's done on our behalf. And then in terms of repentance, um, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the next chapter, chapter 15, says repentance unto life uh, is an evangelical grace, the doctrine whereof is to be preached everywhere by every minister of the gospel, as well as that of faith in Christ. So faith and repentance, they go together. Um, And here we see a little bit more about what it means. Uh, A sinner out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, but also of just the horribleness, the filthiness and odiousness of his sins, as contrary to the nature of God, and also an apprehension of the mercy that's offered in Christ. He hates his sin and grieves it, and he turns from his sin unto God, purposing and endeavouring to walk with him in the ways of his commandments. It's a great description of a change of thinking, a change of direction, a return to God. And so the two go hand in hand. Repentance is a turning away from all that is ruining our relationship uh, with God and with each other, And faith is turning towards God in dependence on him for all that Christ has done. And that's the response that Jesus commands. And it makes perfect sense because that's exactly the way in which anyone should respond to the work of a mediator. There's loads that we could say about this. Um, I just want uh, to um, highlight one thing that I think is incredibly important and that I want to highlight. In the Christian gospel, we do not respond to alienation. In the Christian gospel, we do not respond to alienation. Now, I better explain that because it's so easy to think that we do. It's so easy to think that, you know, well, because we're alienated from God, we need to do something about it. So we think we need to sort ourselves out. We need to make it up to God. We need to um, be maybe really broken by our conviction of sin, or we need to be maybe really strong in our faith so that, um, you know, we can reach over that gap between us and God. And many of the world's religions and many of the kind of distortions of Christianity that you get will preach that sort of thing. Uh, They all put the onus in the fact that we are alienated from God And we've got to kind of um, respond to that. But that is not the gospel. In the gospel, we do not respond to alienation. We respond to mediation. In other words, we are not reaching up to God. We're not meeting him halfway. We're not even meeting him a tenth of the way. We are simply falling with empty hands in total dependence on 
everything that he has done for us as our mediator. In the gospel, the mediator has done everything, absolutely everything. And all we do is just rest in total dependence and in utter thankfulness. That's why uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith can say, faith is different in degrees, weak or strong, and often in many ways it's assailed and weakened, but it gets the victory, growing up into the many, in many to the attainment of full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and finisher of our faith. And it can also say that there's no sin so small that it does not deserve damnation, so also there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. In other words, it does not matter how weak your faith is. Jesus is a big enough mediator for someone with weak faith. And it doesn't matter how great your mistakes are. Jesus is a big enough mediator for all your sins to be forgiven. We are not responding to alienation. We are responding to mediation. And that's why Paul makes it absolutely clear that the gospel is for everyone, that God desires all people to be saved, that Jesus is the mediator, the one who gave his life as a ransom for all. So just to conclude, um, I want to draw a, another wee picture. Um, when we think about alienation between us and God, uh, it's easy to think that uh, there's like um, just like a kind of massive ditch between us and that we are standing here and we need to kind of somehow bridge ourselves, bridge that, that, that gap. And we can even think, sometimes we think we can bridge that gap by our works. Uh, sometimes we can even think that we're bridging it by our faith. So if your faith in Jesus is big enough, then yeah, that'll solve the problem. Um, there's this ditch that you need to kind of get across um, by faith. Um, that's not, that is not, um, it's just not true. Uh, let me just take that away. Um, because between you and God, um, there is not a ditch. The fact that Jesus is mediator means that that ditch has been filled with an ocean of mercy, with a waterfall of grace, and with an eternal fountain of love. And all you have to do is fall into it. It's so simple, so beautiful, so perfect. And it's all because God saves through Christ, our utterly amazing mediator. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you gave your son to be our mediator, our perfect mediator. Thank you so much. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Please feel free to share this podcast. And if you'd like to be up to date with each week's talk, why not search Burkhead Free Church on your favorite podcast app and hit the subscribe button. For more information, go to burkheadfreechurch.org.